The number one thing that people complain about is, oh, you know, in your podcast, you don't introduce your guests. And I'm like, yeah, well, this is my style. You just have to listen in and you'll figure out who my guest is. <laughs> and it's in my website who the guest is. We can do introductions later. Anyway, you commented on my Twitter, um, what's that white stuff on the barbecue grill? Don't you know what halloumi is? Yes. Halloumi is amazing. <gasps> but you're from Croatia. I know, but we don't have that type of a cheese. At least I never wow. had it. So halloumi is like from Greece, Turkey, Cyprus, Levantine, you know, Israel. You will love it. Mm -hmm. You know, you grill it. The best way to get it is to, to grill it and then get it off the grill, drizzle it with a little bit of olive oil and believe it or not, honey and a bit of sesame seeds. And it's just delish, delish. People think I'm like strict carnivore. I'm not, I'm not. But yeah, if you come round to mine, I'll, My, I'll cook you some. Oh, I definitely will. And uh, so always tease. My favorite food group is actually pizza. And there is no cheese that I don't like. So I'm sure I'm going to love it. Yeah, I love pizza. And it's this is a bizarre thing. So even though I'm a complete meat lover, I love meat. When it comes to pizza, I like it really simple. I like a margarita or basically some anchovies on top. I like it really simple. It's really weird. I don't want meat. I don't want anything else on it. Just, just pizza. So anyway. So one of my favorite, I, just to tell you, one of my favorite memories is when I was in Croatia. I was probably like six or seven years old. And, you know, I grew up in this, in the center town and everyone knew me and my family. So my dad would give me like, you know, a couple uh, I forget dinner was actually the, um, um, whatever the money we used. And I would go at night in the summer, walk to the pizza shop by myself. And my favorite pizza was ham and mushrooms. Lovely. So even now when I go visit home, there is that little pizza place. I always go to have ham and mushroom. First thing I eat when I come to split. I love so. it. You know, I've been to Croatia twice in Istria in the north, and I didn't appreciate that it used to be part of Italy. And the diet and the cuisine and the truffles and the olive oil, it's, mm, it's mm -hmm. amazing. Anyway, we could talk about food all day yeah. long. I should do some kind of introduction for Kat Lindley. Um, yeah, I mean, you can tell you were born in Croatia, but you're now living in the US of A. You're board certified family doctor. Um, and you've got a direct primary care practice in Texas, great state. Um, and you love working with the family and taking care of the whole family and seeing them grow up. And I think you're, you know, there's something very beautiful in that, um, model of medicine, you know, following that patient and the family as they grow and being part of the community. Um, but you're also, you're also a bit of a freedom fighter and you're quite outspoken and you have been right from the day dot, and uh, you, you talk about liberty and freedom and, you know, you're a warrior. I love it. You're also the COO of Global COVID Summit and president and co-founder of a new global health project. Now, I'm going to stop talking for a second. I want you to help me out here. What is the Global COVID Summit? What is the Global Health Project? What's the difference between the two and why did we need two? <laughs> Over to you. <laughs> Actually, if you only knew how many positions I have, 
It's probably, there's like probably five or six. But okay, let's start with Global COVID Summit. So Global COVID Summit, I came a little bit late into that group, but it's a group that was uh, organized by uh, Ryan Cole, Richard Urso, Robert Malone, Peter McCullough initially. Uh, I believe Pierre Corey was there for the first uh, one. Dr. John Littell. Uh, these, you know, giants uh, in freedom fighting in the United States, and they came together in Puerto Rico early on to come with this, come up with this declaration. You know, everyone knows the uh, the Great Barrington Declaration. Yeah, yeah. But they, uh, the Global COVID Summit also had a declaration in in um, that they came up with in Puerto Rico, mm, talking about the fact that you know we need to. Yeah, it, it, we actually have four now, and even pediatric <laughs> declaration. It's just kind of, you know, as the time goes, you have to keep on updating them because we had too many things thrown at us. Mm. But essentially, um, Global COVID Summit is just a group of physicians and scientists. There's actually 17,000 scientists and physicians that signed this declaration. So it's just people from around the world that care. And they said what was going on didn't make sense to any of us. And we stand together um, trying to push back on this global totalitarian medical narrative uh, that really kind of overtook the world and took many people by surprise. So I I tried to find the website. So, Can you just tell me the website and then I'll sign the declaration as well. Um, but just for the sake of the listeners, just tell awesome. me that what's the website again? So that one is globalcovidsummit.org. Okay. And there are several, uh, you'll find interviews from... Uh, Peter McCullough, from Robert Malone, from all of these guys from the beginning. Uh, and it's really interesting to listen to those initial interviews. And you see that actually what they were talking then is still relevant now. But it also shows this mm. evolution of what's happened in the past three years. Yeah, that's a great record, isn't it? It's a great public record and resource to show that people were speaking the truth right from the beginning. And those were the crazy anti-vaxxers and misinformation spreaders and actually time will look back and kindly on them they were you know they were correct okay so that's that Mm -hmm. so now tell me about this new venture because you don't have enough titles you're obviously like to collect them so you're 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 a busy lady but you want to be even busier so tell me what's going on i don't know how to say no maybe i should start learning this (laughs) word a little bit better okay so Global Health Project is a coalition of uh, doctors, scientists, thought leaders, moms, dads, really kind of a group of people got together last summer and said, you know, we are here on this journey, but how about we try to reach people who are not here, but are seeing what's happening? Mm-hmm. And we decided to do this campaign. We actually did a market research on this, interestingly, to see who public wants to hear from. Because I was convinced they want to hear from children. They want to hear what children went through do, during the lockdown. Uh, some people thought maybe they want to hear from parents. And then some others thought, well, let's try the physicians and you know healthcare professionals. And then market research showed that actually they wanted to hear from doctors because they still believe them, despite what happened. And another reason they wanted to hear the message from doctors is because they felt if the doctors have gotten this wrong, then maybe it's okay that I have gotten this wrong. Mm. Uh, it's almost like, you know, if these 
people who are supposed to be smart and know what they're doing, if they bought this, well, then maybe it's okay that I did, but what do I do now? So that's why we put together this Global Hope Project. And um, there's a video, there are several videos on our website, and I urge people to look at them because they're true stories of these health professionals. And in states, we have, you know, Osteopathic physicians are different than osteopathic physicians in UK. I'm an osteopathic physician, but I'm actually trained, trained as an MD and I can also do manipulation. So I have kind of uh, a little bit more training than MDs, but have the same duties and everything else that they do. So you have these osteopathic physicians, you have some integrated physicians. You have, we even have a chiropractor in there because they had their own journey through this and they all are sharing what happened, how they realized it, the system is broken, mm. and what do we do now? Uh, <clears throat> one thing I want to tell people, this is not about asking forgiveness, right? Because people will say, we will never forgive doctors for what I did. It's not about that. It's about what happened to them and how they saw the system breaking. I think in, in this video, Dr. Turner is actually vaccinated. You know, he mm. believed when they said you need to get the vaccine, it's going to protect you. He believed that he did it. And then he realized this doesn't make sense. So um, it's important to, I always say it's important to give people grace. And mm. I get it. You and I have had that space on Twitter about the forgiveness, the mm. truth, what doctors went through, and people were very angry. And that's okay. It's okay to be angry. Yeah, But it's also important to give people grace because not all of us yeah. had that aha moment at the same time. Yeah, you know? and I agree. I believe you know this, you know, going through medical school, we are indoctrinated to believe. I know you have MHRA and those other agencies, but we have like, you know, CDC, FDA, NIH. Um, we have our own medical associations, depending on your specialties. And you... It's almost like when you go to church, you have a Bible and you read from the Bible and you're like, okay, this is the word of God. This is what yep. I believe. It's yep. kind of the same thing in medical school. You have these medical journals, you have your agencies and you're like, okay, this is it. This is what I'm taught. I should believe them. So I don't think that most doctors thought that they shouldn't. You know, we thought they're telling us the truth. Some of us, because of, of our own personal character experiences you know up, upbringing maybe realized early on there are holes in their argument and we started questioning those holes right away some people didn't some people were like well you know i think they're telling me what i need to know so anyway the global health project is here to share these stories mm. so that people can see them take them to their doctor who maybe is not speaking out but it's there and say what do you think about this Mm. And most importantly, it's here for regular people. It's here for mom and dad, grandpa, grandmas to look at these videos and say, okay, <clears throat> this happened, but I don't want it to happen again. So now I need to go and look for doctors who will actually have same beliefs that I do. Because you and I know that what happened is going to happen again. You know, I yeah. just read on Twitter couple of our friends shared uh, headlines from your daily column, I think, where it says some MVPs believe that climate change and new dangerous disease is just around the corner. We need to do something about it, right? So they're trying to put us back in lockdowns. They're trying to start giving us these new vaccines for something new, right? Or whatever. 
So we need to be prepared. We need to have tools as parents, as doctors to say no next time. Hundred percent. There's so much to unpack there. <laughs> Kat, there's so much to unpack. <laughs> so starting back from the beginning, you know, I'll be honest with you. I was kind of surprised by the feedback that I've been getting from people. So many people come up to me literally in the streets, everywhere. I get messages all the time saying, thank you for speaking up. You don't know how much it means. Your voice is so important. And I'm like, I'm nobody. I'm nothing. And they go, no, you're not. You're a doctor. And I'm like, you would have thought after the last three years, the last thing anybody would want to hear from is a doctor, but it's not. They do want to hear from a doctor. And I think it's because doctors have always been looked at with respect because ultimately we want to do what's best for the patient, not ourselves, not society, not the government, not an institution, not for the employers, for the patient that's in front of us. And I think people are let down. They're very disappointed. And if you're let down, like just let's just say, like, say you're let down by a friend or you're let down by parents, you don't want to attack them. You want them to see the error of their ways and to rectify it and to fix it. That's what you would want. You you wouldn't want to punish them, you know. And I, I don't think most people want to punish doctors. Most patients want to shake the doctor and say, wake up. What the hell are you doing? For goodness sake, can't you see what you're doing? I think, and I have to admit, I, I'm, I'm grateful to the population for being so generous to us because I don't know if I'm that generous. I don't know if I'm, I am a little bit angry. I am a little bit bitter and upset with my colleagues, you know, and I, again, it's, I think partly it's my ego because I've been insulted. I've been treated very badly. Even now I'm being harassed by other doctors. I've just been referred to the GMC and I know why they want to silence me. They don't like what I'm saying. And it's that upsets me that doctors have forgotten what it means for medical ethics, what it means to do right by the patient first, do no harm and silencing and attacking colleagues and red sending them to the registration and licensing board. This is just censorship and that's cruel. And that, and in an environment of censorship, you can't have patient safety. If something goes wrong and you're scared to speak up, what will happen? And so when you say, you know, oh, why did doctors not speak up? I think that's a mixed reason why doctors didn't speak up, Kat. I think it was partly because they were scared. If they said anything, they were going to lose their job. They're going to lose their license. Some of them, like you said, they believe in authority. We've been drummed in from day one, you know, like this is authority and obedience and obey the protocols, the guidelines. So. I like what you're doing. You're showing individual doctors journeys and showing that actually doctors are human beings just like the rest. And the more, more doctors that step forward and say, look, I got it wrong. I made a boo-boo. I'm really sorry. Um, we can't ha let this happen again. Maybe we can turn the tide, I think. What do you think? I'm hoping we, yeah, I'm hoping we can because you're right, you know, we are human beings. And I remember uh, I used to be a medical director of this huge um, clinic. Actually, there were five clinics. I had seven nurse practitioner and I'm kind of very straightforward. Uh, I'm not big on, you know, too much medication. Um, you know, you, you kind of have some patients that like would ask you for pain medication or whatever. Like I'm very straightforward. So you like me or you hate me. There is no kind of like a middle ground with me. Like, That's like most me. People like me. But everyone's, 
Yeah. But every once in a while, though, um, you know, I, not often, but I think I had like one or two complaints to my medical, to, to the, not the medical director, because I was the medical director, which they didn't realize, but to my like counterpart <laughs> on the yeah. nursing side. Right. And, uh, I would always like, I actually would get really upset because, you know, the idea that someone doesn't like me, it's like, you know, I don't like it. <laughs> I have to be honest. Like I would get upset, but I always took that yeah. as a good criticism, you know, because, uh, maybe I had a bad day and I was being, I don't know if I can use this word, bitchy, right? So like yeah. sometimes it's, it's good to be grounded. And then, you know, especially if I did something wrong, I always call back the patient and said, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry for what happened. You know, I'll do better next or whatever, you know, whatever the situations are. And I think it's very important that message that you're saying, you know, what, whichever journey you're on, whichever way it happened, you know, we, you don't have to tell us, but acknowledging it to your patients and saying to them, you know, I'm sorry for what happened here and I'll try to do best. I think that's really important because I truly feel that this was just a practice. This whole COVID-19 thing was a practice. It's going to get worse. Um, and, and I'm not an alarmist, really. I'm really more of a realist. I just look at what's happening. You know, we discussed WHO in different Twitter spaces and stuff. That's a real and present danger, the whole WHO pandemic treaty and the amendments to the IHR. And then just watch UN. UN is also trying to put some of their feelers out and say, well, we would like to uh, be in charge of the financial ward, right? Yeah. So these people, you know, they have not, stop what they're doing is going to get so worse. these so people we mean these people we talk about we're talking about the psychopaths the predatory parasites i know i know yes. let's go back a bit do you know what marmite is um marmite i kind of used to but i don't i think i look at looked it up with some kind of it's a jar it's, it's a little it's a little pasty black yeasty salty thing that you put on toast here in the uk I think it's disgusting, but basically people <laughs> either love it or they hate it. Or so, hate it. and um, so that's it. You either love it or you hate it. There's no middle way. No one ever says, oh, okay. Yeah. I'll try some Marmite. It's like, oh, I love that. Yeah. Can you put some Marmite in my toast? Or no, no thanks. Okay? So we are Marmite. So we are Marmite of the medical profession. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I've always been described as Marmite and I don't mind that, you know, I'll be honest with you, for the longest time, I used to try and please everyone. I was such a people pleaser. I really just wanted everybody to like me and be popular. I think as I've got a little bit older, more mature, I've realized it's actually impossible to make everyone happy. Some people, are, some, people some other is. people have had a bad day. So no matter how nice you are, they're in a bad mood. <laughs> and you shouldn't, you shouldn't like get upset that someone didn't like you. They just got out of bed the wrong way place and maybe they had a row with their partner god knows what you know and and they take it out on me you know so um i i don't try to please people i i fundamentally treat people the way i would want to treat my family and mm -hmm. and i and i also know it's impossible to make everyone happy every single time it's the only way you can do that is to be fake and lie you know, you're not being truthful. If you're being honest and true to yourself, there'll be an occasional person who doesn't like your style. 
But I like the way you said you reflect on what they've said and you might apologize to them. And sometimes, you know, they might come back and say, oh, thank you very much. Sometimes they still won't be happy. And they'll want their oh, consultation. Know. They'll want their consultation feedback. Okay, here you go. Take it. Bye-bye. <laughs> but yeah. um, So I think, you know, I think what you said about treating people the way you want your family to be treated is very important because especially when I treat uh, children, um, you know, and the parents are kind of scared with what's happening, I always tell them, this is what I would do with my child. Yes. And that gives them comfort, you know. So I think if we approach every person in life with this idea to treat them the same way you would treat someone in your family that you love, you can't go wrong. And, you know, if they don't like it, then it's really on them. It's not on us anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing I find is, I don't know about you, but I, I have to give bad news sometimes. And some people might be thinking, how the hell does a foot and ankle surgeon have to give bad news? Well, it's very simple, especially if you're young and, you know, you're up and coming mm -hmm. football player or ballet ballerina and, you know, you're just a kid. And then I tell you that mm -hmm. you've got an injury that might stop you from progressing in that career. That's pretty bad news. And, you know, all the money and time that people have invested in their child and then to say, oh, this might be a career ending injury is very difficult to give. And I find I found over the years, it doesn't matter how how I deliver that message. Um, it, a, a small minority, but significant minority will get very upset and very angry. And I realized that's why you have the saying, don't shoot the messenger. So, mm -hmm. you know, you're the messenger. We are just delivering the news that isn't very nice to hear. We never caused the problem. We're just telling people of what happened. But the, receive, the person who's receiving this news will blame us and get angry with us. Now, you might be thinking, what's that got to do with anything? I think it's got to do with this whole awakening movement. You know, we have to tell people the bad news <laughs> that, guess what? COVID was just trial number one. This was just a, a warm-up act. Like you said, you've alluded to, there's, they've got more in, in store. I mean, Bill Gates is on record as saying the next pandemic is going to be even worse. And it's like, whoa, what do you know about the next pandemic? And um, I think the danger is that when we tell the public, the wider audience, hey, folks, yeah, it was pretty rough in the last three years, you know, the COVID business. But guess what? If, we, if you don't sort things out and change, we're up. We're going to have a lot more. How do we how do we stop people disliking us? How do we stop people thinking we're a bunch of raving conspiracy theorists and nut jobs and negative, negative? Every, look, the sun is out. Everybody's happy. Barbecues are being lit and you're still going on about COVID, cat. What's the problem, you big grump? Do you see what I'm saying? How do we combat that? I, I do. Well, I always, you know, even if I say something that I feel is going to happen, I always try to come up with a solution or at least give them one of the solutions that I think is viable. So uh, when it comes to what's next, right, the most important thing is what do we do? And that's really yeah. kind of, I'll go back to Global Health Project, why we did it. You know, I do believe that next issue is still going to be health emergency. And I'll explain to you why I actually think it's going to be health versus climate. And if it is climate change, it's going to be more health related. Yeah, tell me. So if it is, um, you know, let's say it's something nuclear or even climate change. And it's happening in... Um, 
UK or it's happening in Brazil or on just a continent, it doesn't really affect you because you're like, oh, that's so sad, so bad, but it's like miles away. Yeah. I'm going to live my life the way I want to. Yeah. But when it's health and when it's health and it's spreading everywhere, right? I I love those like maps where you see like little dot here and then it's like red dots everywhere. It's like red, 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 red. Yeah. When it's health. Yes. And red is such an important color. I have it right here. This is my son's uh, gaming chair. Yeah, I can tell. But when it's red, you know, everywhere. Yeah. um, And it's getting closer and closer and closer to you. And it's going to attack you personally, individually. You freak out. Because like for me, I don't necessarily worry about my own health, but I worry about my kids. Mm. So I'm like, oh, wow. You know, how is this going to affect my kids? How do I protect my kids? Mm. So I do think that this next health, Next emergency, again, it's going to be health. It's going to be some type of virus, whether it's like Marburg or Ebola-like, just because those are like so crazy. And you see like, you know, hemorrhaging in the eyes, right? It's like, that's freaky even for a doctor. Mm. I hate eyes, for example. I hate hemorrhaging the eye. Me too. Do you know, I freak out even getting eye drops. You have to hold me down. (laughs) To get eye drops inside me. Yeah, like my wife is like prying my eyes open and putting these drops. I'm like, ah, <laughs> yeah. I have an eye phobia. Yeah, I have phobia of the eyes. <laughs> and it's kind of funny. One of my best friends is Dr. Richard Urso, who is the, you know, world-renowned ophthalmologist. But I yeah. do hate eyes. Yeah. So, <laughs> so anyways, yeah. So I think it's going to be health again. So that's why kind of a global health project that, think it's important because this conversation we want to happen is we want it to happen between the doctor and the families because families have to go to their doctor and say, if this happens again, what are you going to do? Mm. Are you going to figure out a way to treat me? Or are you going to send me, tell me to stay home and send me to the hospital and then tell me to take the vaccine? That's a great Because point. you have to actually find a doctor, someone that you trust. You know, in my practice, I have my cell phone on even with you and me, and I just kind of glance at it every so often because every one of my patients has my cell phone number. Yeah. And they'll text me if something's going on. Yeah, me And too. then if I can take care of it over the phone, I'll do it. If not, I say, come to the office. I'll see you this afternoon or later in the evening or tomorrow. <clears throat> so it's important to have that relationship with someone you trust. 100%. So if this happens again, you have a little bit of security. So what can we do on a, you know, different level? It's like, I, you know, it's stuff that you put on your Twitter. Grow your own food. Uh, take care of yourself. Sleep well. Exercise. Take care of your family. Read to your children when they come home. Take away their phone. Make them look at you and have a conversation. <laughs> like, I love music. So I play guitar. I sing. You know, my son is actually, my oldest son is in Europe. He was in UK yesterday in uh, he was in uh, London and now he's in Paris today because they're right. doing concerts around uh, right. Europe. Yeah. So like spend time with your family, play a guitar, you know, listen to them. I have another one who plays French horn. My oldest plays tuba. Uh, go swimming. You know, it's raining outside. Go rain in the dance. Create this nuclear family that's strong. That tight. can be broken no matter what happens. Yeah, yeah. tight. Yeah. And then after that, but don't, know, sorry, just, just sorry, 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 sorry to interrupt yeah. you, but I, I think, sorry, this is a bit of a sidestep, but I think this is important because you've just mentioned, it, I don't want to forget. I think there's a real agenda to break up the family unit. Like seriously, there's an attack on the family Huge. and family view, values. And listen, look, I, I can't, I don't know if you're religious or you profess to any religion, 
I, I used to be a Muslim. Yeah. I still have those values um, from the Judeo-Christian Muslim kind of faiths. I believe in God. I just don't subscribe to a particular religion. But I, 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 I think a lot of religion in my mind, sorry if I upset anybody, I think it's been co-opted and subverted by humans. But I think the fundamental message, God and, and our creator and humanity and family values and love and community are, I really subscribe to that. And they're trying to demolish the family unit. They're trying to demolish religion. They're trying to demolish communities. They're trying to isolate us. Um, and I, I, I genuinely believe that. Do you, do you think that? Yes. Yeah, see, actually, if you look at my Twitter, you'll see that every couple of months I'll write, uh, the war is on the family, faith and mm. freedom. And I, and I truly believe that. Um, if you can break the family, if you can confuse children in whether they think they are he or she, if you create these units, these units can be controlled much easier than someone who actually has support in the family. And that goes back to, you know, even my own um, upbringing. I grew up in communism. So when the whole thing started, I truly, I, I, I saw this through two different sets of eyes. One was mm. a doctor, but mm -hmm. the other one was someone who actually understood the tactics of fear, control, isolation, and then bargaining. Those are the tactics of totalitarianism. And then as a doctor, I saw really the thing that baffled me from the beginning is, you know, I know you're ortho, but I'm family medicine, general practice. And general, and I worked in um, not A&E, but like the step-down urgent care. So someone like me is a frontline. If something happens, I'm the one that's supposed to actually go into the community and figure out what to do. So when the hospital I worked for at the time said that tell, to tell patients to stay home um, until they can't breathe and then go to the hospital and then you hear the stories of them getting intubated, that never made sense because, you know, as a doctor, I took a risk. I knew what the risk is. It's my job. I have to do it. And they pretty much told us don't do anything right, which I ignored. But I knew there and then that this is just really doesn't make sense from the healthcare standpoint. Yeah. Uh, because putting everyone in the hospital is just going to create pressure on the hospital. And I don't believe in protocols and things like that because medicine needs to be individualized. Hallelujah. So, um, yeah, this whole thing never made sense, right? I, and I think it's very so, important for so people I'll to tell realize you. that, yes, the war is yeah. on the family. Yeah, so just on that point, you know, Kat, I'm guilty. I'm one of these doctors who... Leading up to the lockdowns, the three, four weeks leading up to the lockdowns, I was like, oh my God, we need to lock down. There's something scary happening. But honestly, within a week of lockdown, I was like, this is BS. What is going on here? The moment they start saying, if you're sick, yeah. you know, basically stay at home until you're dying. I was like, what? That doesn't even make sense. So I fell for the fear point. Yeah, they I said like, take Tylenol. Yeah. 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 I'm not going to lie. I, I did feel. And, and, and it's funny when I look back. Why did I feel, fall for the fear porn? I was in a bad place psychologically. I was um, exhausted after a political campaign I'd been involved in. I'd, I'd been on the receiving end of a lot of abuse. Um, and so, you know, I, I was emotionally, psychologically depleted at the beginning of 2020. I'll be honest with you. Um, I was just fed up. So because I wasn't strong, because I wasn't mentally strong, because I wasn't resilient, 
I fell for the fear porn. And that's why I'm on Twitter talking about be the strongest, healthiest version of yourself, body and mind. Because if you are, you will be more immune to the BS that the government throws at you, you know? Um, and so you're 100% yeah, right about... 100%. Yeah. And so, and then the family unit, 100%. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I ask questions like, why is there suddenly such an upsurge, a, a pandemic of gender identity problems? You know. I want to ask the question, what is going on? Why are all these children so confused? And it's, I find it very sad. I mean, if, if my children came home and said, dad, we, I think I'm in the wrong body, that would break my heart. And you can imagine as a parent, you'd want a solution. And if the doctor tells you, oh, you need puberty blockers and you need surgery and your child is in a wrong body, you trust the doctor and you go, okay, do whatever you have to. And the problem is instead of doctors saying, it's okay. You know, we need to investigate what's happening. Is there social engineering? Is there, is this social media? Is, is this just an epidemic of depression? Is it the food we're eating? Is it, is it hormone chemicals in the water? I don't know, but maybe we just need to pause and support these kids and not over medicalize and then treat them. What we're finding is now we're enabling these young kids. And I feel sad that we're doing that. Well, this has been a perfect storm. So I am a big fan of movies. Um, I don't know if you watch Perfect Storm with um, oh, what's his Russell Crowe. No, it's not Russell Crowe. It's um, uh, I'll, it'll come to me. Okay. But anyway, it's a story. It's a story about this uh, storm on the um, coast of Massachusetts. You know, hurricane came from one side, and then uh, the storm from the other, and created this huge storm. But think about this. During the lockdown, our children were locked down at home with us. So parents had the stress of trying to work from home, taking care of their children, trying to get the Zoom thing going on with the school that never made sense because at the time my son was, I think, seven or eight and seven mm. and eight year olds do not Zoom teachings. But anyway, and then there was this huge uptick of mental health in children. Yeah. They're stressed out because parents come home, they talk about, Oh, I couldn't go to work. My job uh, let me go. So they're hearing this noise from parents. In the background is TV that parents are watching with these people are dying everywhere. Uh, you know, the, the stuff from China, people dying on the streets. Mask up, mask up. Then, yeah. then you are. Yeah. So you have all this like tension up in the air. Yeah. You have seven, eight-year-olds, 10, 12-year-olds <clears throat> listening to this, seeing they're their sponges. parents trying to and do the school. And they're sponges. They they're suck sponges. everything up. Yeah. So we had this huge uptake of mental health in children, suicidal attempts in children during the mm. pandemic. Mm. And now all of a sudden they're free to go to school. And they go to school and they get indoctrinated that aren't you confused about who you are? Don't you think like you would like to do something else? Maybe we should use he, she, her, they, whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh, because maybe you're not this, maybe you're not that. So you have this education system, at least in U.S., that has been corrupted for years, by the way. This is like 30, 40 years of a lot of these ideas Kat, coming through school I'm gonna, systems. And I'm going to ask you, where you yeah, I'm going to ask you that indoctrination is a strong word. Is Are these kids being indoctrinated in the schools in the States? In my opinion, they are. 
not in every school system. You know, my children go to public school and we have a great school system. I was actually on the board of the school mm. um, until November of last year. So it kind of depends where you are, which state you are. Some states, yes, they are indoctrinated. Why, why, you, why are you using the sure. word indoctrinated? Like, why would you say that? What are they saying and doing? Because there are stories, even in Florida of all places, where teachers have told children that they are confused. Not the teachers, but that the children are confused. And I do remember a story specifically from Florida when a, where a parent, a mom, did not know that their child was transitioned in school. Oh, wow. If my child comes to school, comes to the teacher or the counselor, and they say, I think this, I think that, I would hope that the teacher, counselor, would call me right away. I would be one yeah. of the first phone calls they would have and say, hey, Dr. Lindley, hey, Kat, something's going on with your kid. Maybe we can figure out how to help them. Yeah. But that's not happening. Stories here in the United States, in some states, where teachers and counselors are having conversations with kids and telling them not to tell their parents. Even our White House, our president, I believe they had a pride event at the White House. And he said in a statement, these are our our children. I'm sorry, my children are my children, mine and my husband's. They are not anyone else's children. Now, Isn't when it there... comes to my friends in community who are helping us and we all are taking care of our children together, that's fine. But even those parents come to me and say, hey, Kat, your son did this. Maybe you want to talk to them about it. Yeah. So there is that. I do feel it's indoctrination. I, I truly feel that. I'm going to just pause for a second, if you don't mind. Just one sec. Let's pause and we'll start again. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons why I've got this garden studio is I live in this little small cottage and there's no sound insulation. And with three little kids, it's just <laughs> constant background noise. Um, <laughs> yeah, listen, I, I think I a, hear them beating, beating up on each other. Yeah. So it's the same with religion. I'm really conflicted about religion because although I said I don't follow a formal religion, I have a lot of respect for religion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think there's so much that religion can, good that it can do. And I don't want to see religion eroded. I don't want to see it captured and subverted because what they will replace it with is like a world, yeah. one world government religion. You know, I don't want that. Well, I think it's important to distinguish between faith and religion, right? Mm. Uh, so, you know, I grew up Catholic in Croatia yeah. just because that's, you know, what the, most Croatians are, were Catholic. And then I came to the States and I was introduced to this idea that like there's Methodist, there's Baptist, there is, um, oh, I forget them all. Evangelical. Um, there's lots of them. Evangelical, right? Yeah. Uh, there is also like community Christian. And I'm thinking to myself, we all believe in the same God. So why do we have all of these things? Yeah. You know, until I realized that do they kind of believe in little things differently than others. And, you know, for a little while, I kind of, I don't want to say went along with it, but, you know, I tried different things to see where I find my home. And then for me, I tend to find my home, not in a, not in a religion itself, but in the church family of people that I'm surrounded with. Yeah. Uh, so for me, it's really always been more about faith 
And yeah. um, I do find familiarity in Catholic religion just because I grew up in it. And it's really interesting. There is a, there is a prayer. I always say when I'm stressed out, when, when kind of I feel like yeah. weight of the world on me, there is a prayer. I say, I always say, I pray in Croatian. I do not pray in English. I speak five <laughs> languages, but I never prayed in Italian or Spanish or French. Say it. I, I want to hear this prayer. Croatian. I want to hear it in Croatian and then tell me the translation. Please do it. <laughs> okay. I'd so love in to Croatian. Gospodine, nisam dostojan da odbićeš potkrov moj, nego samo reci riječi i ozdraviće duša moja. So now in English. Um, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. Just say the words and my soul will heal. And then I was telling a friend of mine about it, and he well, goes, that, I just want to say that's, eight, that, eight. That, that, that's beautiful. So what is that in English again? It is, again? because it really gives me, it's a, uh, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the words and my soul will heal. Nice. And when I'm stressed out, just like saying those words, it really like calms me down. Yeah. I feel like, you know, the the worry has left me and um, I have someone... I believe in something greater than myself and I have yes. comfort in, in the idea that, me too. you know, he's with me all the time. Um, and I think it's important for, for people to find something they believe in, you know, whether it's God, whether it's their family, whether yeah, yeah. it's just love for humanity or something. Because absolutely you believe in something greater than yourself, you always try to do better. Yeah. So. I agree. That's beautiful. I love that. So yeah, we want family. We want strong families. We want strong communities. We want faith. Faith is good, but we don't want big government. Faith is good. <laughs> we don't want big no, government. And I don't know if you read. Yeah, I don't know if you read somewhere uh, that guy. I always forget his name from Israel. I know Efrat would know his name because she doesn't like him at all. The one uh, people, you know, think he's totally. Crazy. But anyway, he said that we need to write a new Bible. AI needs to write a new Bible. Oh, you're right? talking about that guy. Do. You're talking about that guy, Johan Harari or something. Yes. Yes. He's a Can freak you show. What type of Bible they write? write uh, and, what and the, the And the hell? worst thing is, I know. So you're that's what about, I want our children to believe. You're talking about Efrat Fenixen. She's a citizen journalist. And I recently interviewed her on my podcast. And uh, she was actually here in the UK. She's sitting opposite me here in this desk. And I have to admit, she's such a, a beautiful human being. I love her. She is a good she human is. being. Big shout out to Efrat Fenixen. But yes, Johan Harari, he is, I mean, I don't know, where the hell did this guy come from? He's written a few books, Homo Sapien or something. Everybody talks about him like he's the best thing since sliced bread. He talks about human AI and ha hacking into humans and, and, you know, oh, it's nonsense. It's rubbish. No. I disagree with everything but he says. But it's like such a, he's such a like, um, <laughs> what do you call those? He's not a hero. He is, he's such a villain, right? And sometimes I listen to him talk and I'm like, how can anyone think that what he's saying is normal, real? Or makes sense. True. Yeah. Like, exactly. It's, it's like, it, it feels like someone has written a novel, you know, between these uh, villains and heroes and he's like, 
you know, yeah, his Kat, mind. I, I've been surrounded. Like, I've been surrounded by people who are very mediocre doctors, clinicians, managers, politicians, who they speak slowly and very deliberately and use very complicated words to make them sound intelligent. And you know what? They're thick as shit and they talk crap and they're rubbish and they're good for nothing and they've achieved nothing and they're wasting my time. I can see them from a mile away. <laughs> and so I know, I know their tricks and it, it doesn't fool me. It's a very, it's a very special way of talking and it's basically spaghetti nonsense. They talk garbage. They don't actually say anything. Anyway, enough time spent on him. Is there anything else you want to talk about? <laughs> Cat Lindley, anything, any advice you want to tell the listeners about how to stay healthy, how to stay free? How do we resist? Some people say, oh, there's nothing we can do. These people are too powerful and it's all going to be doom and gloom. Come on, there must be some glimmer of hope. What do we do? It really goes back to what I said, you know, create your own family, your nuclear family. Make sure it's strong. Make sure that you equip your children to enter this crazy world. And then once you did that, create your own um, circle. You know, it starts with your friends. Uh, run for an office. You know, um, people are always uncomfortable running for an office because they don't think they can do much. You can if you uh, run for a school board. That's a start. Or you can run for a mayor or, or something. Whatever it is, councilman. It doesn't matter. Do something. And then build your own uh, little area of the world where you grow your own food, teach your children how to grow their own food, teach them how to cook and take care of your body, take care of your mind, take care of your spirit and surround yourself with people that love you. And then just grow that circle outward. Because if you create this circle that's strong, that can be broken, you know, what are you going to do? Send soldiers into your community to break you apart? They can't. And I think that's what these last three years have shown. We have connected with so many people from outside and created these incredible friendships. And we did not roll over and let them and play dead, right? We fought back. Just keep on fighting back. Whatever it is, find that something that you believe in and just keep on fighting back. For me, it's my kids. I know for you, is your kids as well and your family. Yeah. I don't want them to grow up in this world. I want them to grow up in a safe world. I want them to be surrounded by love. I want them to be able to have their own families, whatever they choose in life, and then just go for it. I just want them to have every possibility they can have. So fight for something that's worth fighting for. Amen. I really hope, I hope that will be the case. I think as a parent as well, you even want what's, what a better life than what you've had. So, you know, my dad came yes. over from Pakistan when he was 16. He, you know, he hitchhiked all the way from Pakistan through Iran, Turkey, and, you know, through Europe here. And then he went to Scotland and he worked in the shipyards and he worked his socks off and he scraped every penny he had. And he worked literally till the week he died. And he worked hard mm -hmm. and he gave a wonderful life to my siblings and myself. And I'm so grateful that I was born in Scotland and grew up there and had an amazing education and childhood. And yeah, there was some difficulties and financially there were some difficulties and sometimes culturally there were some difficulties, but on the whole, it was an amazing childhood and life. And then I came and lived down here in England 
It's slightly different. It is a separate country to Scotland. It's a bit strange. It's like Yugoslavia, you know? It's Croatia and Serbia. It is. People don't realize Croatia, yeah. Slovenia, Serbia, we're all different. They all think we're the same, but no, know, we're they're not different. exactly yeah. the same. So England and Scotland. So I live in a, a different country. I live in England now. And, you know, I've got a very nice life, beautiful part of the world. But I want my kids to have an even better future than the one I had. Not yeah. going backwards. And I've met people from mm-hmm. all across the world. And I'll tell you one thing, it doesn't matter where you're from, every parent wants that for their kid. You know, we, we just yeah. want, we want to love our kids and see them happy and grow up. And it doesn't matter how old they are, they're still going to be our babies. Yeah. Hopefully. And I, and I know, I don't, well, they are. My 18 year old just uh, graduated. And, and I, you know, like I said, he's in uh, Europe and, I keep on looking at my phone to make sure he's okay. <laughs> um, so one thing, you know, I, I know we don't want to be too serious, but one thing I do want to kind of touch back on. Go for it. We have to protect our children. We truly yes. have to protect our children. The attack right now is on our kids, mm. it's, it, whether it is in school, whether they're friends, whether it's TikTok, you know, um, whether it's bullying, whatever. I think and what are the attacks we all work, specifically we are, what are they attacking our kids with because that would be good to clarify what should parents be watching out for well I feel with this whole transgender issue so you know I, I get this idea that some people feel they grew up in the wrong body they want to change their gender or whatever uh, they want to lead a different life I get that but I think the whole idea of it has been kind of captured in the sense that now, you know, if you have someone who is, my, my son is going to kill me, but my son and my daughter are 11 months apart. So when they were little, his sister was his best buddy. Mm. And he would wear, you know, they would play princesses because that's what his sister wanted to play. And I have pictures of him with sunglasses, a little purse, walking in the heels and stuff like that. And, you know, they had the best time ever. That doesn't mean that my son ever wanted to be a girl. And if you look hey, at him now, he's actually he, a huge football player. So listen, it's fine. Tell your son, play this clip. So when I was a little kid, baby, little toddler, my mom would say, what a cute, beautiful little girl he would make. So she would dress me up in little girl dresses. Yeah. There are pictures of me in little frogs. That's so funny. Yeah. So actually, I... <laughs> but I, i'm not confused <laughs> i think you should post that exactly exactly like you're not confused and our kids are not confused they're just playing a role and we should let yeah, them play the roles them. you know we, we my shouldn't be boy, afraid of them exploring the world yeah my little boy when he's three went you know wanted hair clips like his sister we, we had, like go ahead and do it but he's so different from my daughters he comes up and punches me and this and that but he's got a sensitive soul I was a very sensitive boy. I was a very shy, believe it or not, I was shy. Mm-hmm. I was shy, I was sensitive, you know, <laughs> very delicate. But, you know, that doesn't mean I want to, you know, I need, I need to be transitioned. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I know. And, and and I think, kind of... So you're saying? No, I was just going to say, that's where we have to be careful. You know, we, we need to let the kids be kids and explore yeah. the world that's out there. But that doesn't mean that we need to impose our ideas on them. And I'm, yes, I would say that, you know, like 
if you see a lot of stuff that's happening, is these parents that are pushing that on their kids, or maybe sometimes it's the school uh, teachers or counselors that are pushing these things on our kids. And this is one thing that some people who understand this totalitarianism get. In a totalitarianism world, if you confuse someone in who they are, whether a boy or a girl, and now they don't know who they are, and they become this unit, the unit can be controlled. The unit can be told, you don't, you don't have a value. You don't exist outside of the system. And one of the reasons there is actually a war on faith and family and freedom is if you confuse someone who they are, they become a unit. If you tell them that God doesn't exist, they have nothing to believe in. They, don't, they have nothing to strive for. They don't have anything they have comfort in. And if you take away their freedom, you can control them all you want. And that's why our governments are attacking the religions. They're attacking the faith. Because in totalitarianism, the government becomes your religion. Yeah. You know, our president saying a few days ago that my children are our children. No, my children are my children. Mm. And I'm their parent. And we are a family unit. And we believe in God. And we believe in freedom. Because, yeah. you know, Mickey Willis said recently in one of his videos, freedom is our birthright. Yes, it is. Most people are born free, and most people, if they're not born free, they strive to be free. Yeah. So it's really important to get back to this idea that freedom, family, and faith are the most sacred things we have in life, and we need to keep fighting for them. Yeah, amen to that. I mean, do you not think there's an so, element of... I said you know I they, wasn't going to be serious, but... <laughs> you know how they talk about a, an identity crisis, you know, the gender identity crisis? I think that yeah. I think it's because there's a void. If you think about it, there's a void, yes. there's a, something's missing. So like you said, religion, yes. faith, faith is missing. The community, the family is missing. So many relationships were broken yes. up during the COVID years. There's divorce, you know, there's single parents. And then you take away yes. the community. There's a void. There's no more community. You, mm -hmm. you had social distancing, you had lockdowns, you've got social media, you've got computer gamings online. There's no face-to-face -face interactions. There's no bond, community linkage anymore. So you have a massive void. You don't know what your identity is. Yes. You're lost. You're not tethered to anything. And you're confused. Mm -hmm. And I remember, <laughs> I remember puberty. I remember writing an essay on puberty um, during my English, you know, year. And it was just entertaining. And I was talking about how confusing it was and what, how bizarre it was to get puberty hairs and, you know, all these kind of things. And it was a very, you know, emotional, hormonal roller coaster ride. That's what happens. Your body gets injected with this rush of hormones and it frazzles you emotionally as well as physically. You know, there's changes both mentally and physically. <clears throat> and I think, you know, we talk about safeguarding vulnerable adults. I don't know if you've got that term in the States. We talk about safeguarding adults and children and it's very important to do that. It's good medical practice. I think the ultimate form of safeguarding young adults and children is to protect them and not to enable them with these issues. And when it comes to protecting children, I would also say the vaccines, these mRNA jabs. Um, Lindsay, I, you know, I don't know about your thoughts about that, Kat, but basically 
you know, they're still pushing that on the schedule here. You know, COVID is meant to be over and they still want to roll out all these jabs. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had a major U-turn in my thoughts about vaccines. I read a book called Turtles All the Way Down, which kind of debunks a lot of the science behind it. And I would be very hesitant to get any form of vaccine now again in the future. Um, what's that like in the States? There's still a big push for children to be vaccinated? Um, there's still a big push and it kind of depends again on the state. It's on the vaccine schedule. So the states and school districts could uh, mandate it if they wanted to. Uh, luckily, parents are not really going for it. And I think that's very important. I actually testified at the FDA uh, against children vaccines. Right. And uh, especially, you know, at the point when they wanted to introduce it on the schedule, huge amount of children had it. I think even by their own data at that point in time, there was like over 84% of children who had COVID. They have natural immunity. And not mm. only that, kids have been exposed to coronaviruses throughout their lives. So when kids got SARS-CoV-2, most of them, I can tell you in my practice, all the kids, it was a mild disease, mm. lasted a few days. You just gave yeah. them supportive treatment. There was no issues whatsoever. So to vaccinate them with this new technology against something that they're not really at risk for dying by our own data, right? And then we had no long-term data whatsoever at that point. Like now, the data we have actually shows a lot of harm. But even at that point... And even now, it's short-term data. It's not even long-term data. It's still short-term data. Yeah, exactly. So we had no long-term data. And then fertility data, That was we had it from the beginning. We knew mm. that the... Um, Lipid nanoparticle accumulated in the uh, sperm and the ovaries, right? Mm. So we had no long-term data on fertility. So you have these children that you're giving them the vaccine. You don't know if they're going to be fertile later on in life. That was like total insanity. But yeah. you're right. And this is where I say we have to be ready and, and you have to find the doctors you trust because they are pushing the vaccines, despite the fact that we know that there is harm. Um I know I've met Mary, uh, Maddie DeGaray. I met Ernest Ramirez, who lost his son to this vaccine. And what people don't realize, um, to some, this might be just numbers, right? Because like I said, it's not personal, so you kind of distance yourself from it. Mm. It's not happening to my family. It's not yeah. happening to my kids. But these numbers have names. And even yeah. one child lost to this is one too many. So you're right. It's like totally incredulous to think that we are still even considering these vaccines for children. And then when it comes to the rest of the vaccines, um, you're correct. Many people are waking up and saying, did I need all this? Do my children need all this? And uh, if <clears throat> you think about it, like let's take hepatitis B. Here in the States, we give it at birth, then two months, four, six, whatever. Yeah. Um, I always have to look up the schedule because it's it's crazy. Yeah. But do children need a, a hepatitis B vaccine if they're not at risk? If their parents are not the ones that had the disease or, or whatever or you know or some behaviors, do kids really need it? No. You know, they're not exposed to uh, blood products like we are uh, at work. Like you can argue that maybe doctors, healthcare workers need them, whatever. You can argue that. But do children need it? No. So why would they give uh, it this stuff specifically is so, this hepatitis B? 
Is it just me? Am I just crazy? But I just feel like so many things are goddamn so bloody obvious. And I want to scream my head off because like, yeah. why can't the politicians and the public health experts and all these professors and all these people with fancy titles, commissioning executive, NHS lead, London, blah, 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 whatever. You know, what, what the hell's wrong with these people? Because fit, healthy children don't need this. The best thing you can do is give them good nutrition, clean water, you know, healthy yes. upbringings, good sleep. That's what you want. And that's yes. the biggest public health service you can do. I mean, this is the same extrapolate to cancer. You know, we pump billions of money into cancer research. Where's it got us? Nowhere. If you want to help treat cancer, fight off obesity, P get people eating healthy yes. food, off carbs, keto diets, get them fasting, you know, reverse the type two diabetes. And then suddenly you have a lot of fit people. I mean, I just feel like there's so much common sense out there, but it's, hidden away and then people just create gobbledygook and confuse the matter and and then pretend there's a crisis and oh we need to look for the solutions when the solutions are there and they're easy and they're cheap and they're obvious anyway i'm going off on a rant can it happen sometimes yeah <laughs> no but they're totally obvious you know like for example i'm just going to give you this so people can take it as advice because it's i, I discovered berberine just recently after talking to paul merrick but people who have diabetes, if you put them on a really, like you said, ketogenic diet, hydration, exercise, and stuff like that, they can truly control their diabetes. They don't mm. need insulin. And mm. then this berberine, it's a natural product that you can get on Amazon. I had a couple of patients with like, you guys have different numbers uh, for your hemoglobin A1C, but like 13 is huge. Five, yeah. uh, yeah. 5.9 is normal and 13 yeah, is like huge, right? Yeah. So I had... You know, I had these people take berberine, which is a natural supplement and diet and exercise. And they brought their numbers completely down in like just wow. a few months. So, yeah, I think we have been used to this pharmaceutical approach to everything that now we have to look back and say, if you just live life the way our grandparents lived. Yeah. Most people just worked hard, ate good food, took care of themselves had this good family life and they didn't go to the doctor for every little sniffle that happens. Yeah. Yeah. So Kat, I'm, I'm going to ask you, where can the listeners find you on social media and your websites? Can you just repeat that? And what I need to start doing is on my website, when I put the bio information, I'll put your website and your Twitter handle and everything on that as well. But can you just tell listeners where they can find you? Sure. So globalcovidsummit.org is where the, all these, um, you know, colleagues, Ursa, Malone, Ryan Cole, Lynn Finn, uh, you can find us all there. Um, then there is a global health project, my new adventure, as I like to call it. And I am on Twitter at KL Veritas, V-E-R-I-T-A-S. Um, and then I have my own practice for those who live in, um, Texas specifically, uh, it's eaglemedcenter.com, but you can also email me through my website if uh, for some reason you want to get in touch with me. Yeah, there's a lot of people who do remote consultations, by the way. I don't know about you, but people are really struggling to find good people they can trust. And, um, you know, I do remote consultations and I think people would be happy to, to chat to anyone who's going to listen to them and take them seriously and be ethical. And you sound like the ticket. So, um, listen, Kat, it's been <laughs> great chatting to you. Really, thank you so much. I need to go pick up my kids soon. 
um, and there'll be screaming kids all over the place here. Um, listen, it's, it's lovely to talk to you and you're a great human being. Honestly, you are. I mean, when pe if people don't know you and they look into your track record right from day dot, you've put your neck, you know, above the parapet, you've, you've stuck out, um, you've spoken the truth, you've spoken freedom. You've not been wrong about anything so far that I've seen. And, um, you know, tremendous amount of respect to you. And it sounds like you're my twin, you're Marmite. <laughs> Who doesn't like eye drops. <laughs> yeah, no. I hate eye drops. <laughs> Listen, God bless you. And thank you everyone for listening. If you can support the show, I would be most grateful. I'm on Substack. There's going to be a paid and, and a free version. And um, yeah, tune in until next time. God bless. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm.